Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, posted on May 23rd, 2014. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... They are connected to such a wide range of phenomena, from the subatomic to the cosmic, that they could tell us a lot about the nature of matter, about what triggers uh, exploding stars, um, to, you know, what the universe might have been like, the conditions... Uh, within seconds after the Big Bang. That's Ray Giordano. He's a professor in observational astrophysics at the University of Toronto. He's also an award-winning writer, and his latest book is called Neutrino Hunters, the thrilling chase for a ghostly particle to unlock the secrets of the universe. He was in New York recently and dropped by Scientific American. So I'm reading your book. I'm in about chapter three, and I uh, I say, hey, this book sort of reminds me of Microbe Hunters. Oh, yeah? And I look at the title, and so did <laughs> Microbe Hunters in- inspire you? Actually, no. It didn't. I'm, I oh, haven't okay. read that one. But <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's a classic yeah. in biology and medical, the history of uh, medical research. And, and uh, what's great about your book is if you're interested in Current science, it's fascinating, but I have a really strong interest in the history of science also, and it's all in there too. So just tell us what a neutrino is. I think a lot of people would like to start right there. Well, it's just a type of elementary particle, like uh, an electron or a a quark. Um, It's just uh, quite different from others. Well, for one thing, it's the most common type of matter particle in the universe. So other than particles of light, we call photons, it's the the next most common type of particle that exists. Well, tell tell me, I know it's in the book. Like, how many n- neutrinos are passing through our bodies right now? Trillions. Trillions every second. Every second. Every second. And uh, some of them are coming from the nuclear furnace at the heart of the sun. Um, that's where they're produced, and they stream right out of the sun, come all the way. Uh, through space and pass through our bodies and pass right through the Earth in most cases uh, back into space. What is it you liken it to? Or does somebody did it like a bullet passing through fog? fog yeah, bullet cutting yeah. through fog yeah. because uh, they hardly ever interact, which is why they're so hard to pin down and so difficult to study. If they don't hit a nucleus, you're not going to know about it. Yes, and, 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 and that chance is pretty small because they only feel what we call the weak force, the weak interaction force. That means that they are very, uh, uh, you know, I call them pathologically shy. Uh, um, they they really have a strong reluctance to to mingle uh, with other particles, which makes them, you know, antisocial and difficult to difficult to pin down. Uh, but they are connected to such a wide range of phenomena, from the subatomic to the cosmic, that they could tell us a lot about. Uh, many different things, many different mysteries about the nature of matter, about what triggers uh, exploding stars, to what's going on in the heart of the sun, uh, to you know what the universe might have been like, the conditions uh, within seconds after the Big Bang. So they really cut you know uh, cut through this wide swath uh, in terms of in terms of the phenomena that that neutrinos have connections to. Uh, what's more, even um, there are neutrinos being produced in the interior of the Earth uh, because some radioactive material is in there and that's producing heat, that's heating the interior of our planet. Uh, the radioactive decay also produces neutrinos. We call them geoneutrinos, neutrinos produced by the Earth. And just in the last decade, scientists have detected these geoneutrinos. So they might even allow us to understand the makeup of our own planet. That's geoneutrinos, like geothermal exactly. energy. Exactly. Yeah. So the 
the history of the uh, the termination of the existence and then capture of neutrinos is like a history of really big names in 20th century physics. Indeed, and some very colorful uh, characters that, that I write about in the book, um, including some physicists who you might not have heard of, uh, like Ettore, Ettore Majorana, right. um, an Italian physicist who was this reclusive genius, um, really struggled with, with many things um, in, 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 in his life um, and disappeared without a trace at age 32. Um, we still don't know for sure what happened to him. It's not clear. He might have jumped he, overboard or he might have gone to a monastery. Nobody knows exactly. what Exactly. There's a lot of speculation yeah. about uh, what happened to him, uh, whether he jumped off a boat between Sicily and Naples, whether, uh, you know, he might have absconded to South America, whether he was, you know, uh, got uh, taken by the mob. Um, there's all kinds of stories uh, swirling around his disappearance, um, so much so that people in Italy for a while were reporting Majorana sightings, like wow. Elvis like sightings Elvis. in America. <laughs> and his contribution again. Uh, his contribution was uh, to raise the question whether neutrinos and their antimatter twins behave in identical ways or not. Like and they could be the same particle except for the spin. Exactly. But do they interact with matter in identical ways or not? It's, a, it's a, in some ways a simple but profound idea, but it's only now that physicists are getting to the point where they could experimentally start to to test that question, to, to test his hypothesis and to answer that question. And it could have very uh, uh, grand ramifications in terms of, you know, could neutrinos have helped the universe become dominated by matter? Uh, because right after the Big Bang, there might have been equal amounts, there should have been equal amounts of matter and antimatter, and yet today's universe is dominated by matter. How did that asymmetry come about? That's a very deep and difficult question. And neutrinos... The, the the nature and the characteristics and the behavior of neutrinos might give us some really valuable insights to get at that difficult question. So that's one reason that Majorana's um, involvement uh, in, in, in neutrino physics is, is quite important. One of the great things about um, the history of neutrino physics is how wrong some of the really big guys were, like Dirac and Hans Bethe. Indeed. Uh, well, initially people, uh, you know, you know, justifiably enough thought, you know, how could we ever detect this particle experimentally? Was it, was it Pauli who said I may have proposed a, a particle that can't be detected? Indeed. Pauli he was really embarrassed about having yeah, put that forth. Exactly. I mean, he, 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 um, took this, you know, at the time radical step of proposing the existence of a whole new particle. And remember back then there were only two matter particles were known. Only the electron and the proton, not even the neutron had been identified yet when Pauli suggested um, the idea of a neutrino. So, you know, it was a radical step. It, it was it was um, to solve a growing crisis in physics. Uh, but he himself, uh, you know, soon came to um, question his wisdom and wonder whether, you know, he had, you know, what have I done? I've, I've proposed a particle that couldn't be detected. Uh, and in fact, he bet a case of champagne that it would never be detected. Uh, and it took 25 years uh, for physicists to finally have experimental detection of neutrinos uh, in the in the early to mid-1950s. And detection is different from capture. Well, we don't, we can't really capture them because, you know, they 
zip right by at mm-hmm. nearly the speed of light, right? So, so there's no capture in the sense of putting it in a bottle. Right. Can't quite do that. But, but you can have... capture it. You can measure it hitting something it's and that interaction. Exactly. So you have and, – and because they interact so rarely, um, you need an incredibly large volume for your detector. So whether it's a large vat of water or dry cleaning fluid – or in the case of the latest and the biggest of neutrino detectors called Ice Cube, which is literally a cubic kilometer of ice at the South Pole, deep under the deep under the surface, uh, that's been dotted with these five thousand sensors. You know, they drilled down these holes uh, into into the ice and lowered cables with these optical sensors mounted on them, uh, and they're buried forever now. It's, it's almost like launching a, a telescope, you know, launching a mission into space. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go back and, and, you know, dig them out. They're, lo- you know, they're, they're buried deep down the ice, uh, but they uh, register the flashes of light that are emitted when neutrinos interact with uh, an, uh, an atom uh, and produces a new particle called a muon. As the muon, muon travels through the ice, that's what lights it up. But it tells you a neutrino has arrived. It also tells you the direction from which it came. And it tells you something about the energy of the neutrino. So I don't know if you have followed in, in the news that um, the Ice Cube collaboration reported the detection of some 28 neutrinos coming from well beyond our solar system, probably well beyond our galaxy. These are sort of the, basically the second batch of cosmic neutrinos ever detected. The only other time we had seen neutrinos from beyond our solar system was from supernova 1987A. So this is only the second time. It's a big deal. It's sort of the, you know, the fledgling start of, of, of a new branch of astronomy, the neutrino astronomy. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, it took them about two years to detect these 28 neutrinos to, to register them. That means you're registering about one neutrino a month <laughs> with a cubic kilometer-sized detector. It just gives you some sense of how hard it is to to trap them, to nail them down. So, so far, they don't have the, 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 the numbers, the, the statistics to even tell us for sure what the sources of these really high-energy neutrinos are. But hopefully over the next few years, uh, that'll, that'll start to uh, be clearer. And it's the fact that they have much higher energies than other neutrinos that we know about that lets us know that they're from a, a cosmic origin, the, probably some supernova somewhere. It, it is a clue that most likely these high-energy neutrinos come either from uh, jets of particles that are accelerated by supermassive black holes at the hearts of galaxies, or from uh, really gigantic stars that explode at the end of their lives uh, that also produce a phenomenon we call gamma ray bursts, uh, which also might accelerate particles to very high speeds and energies. So either way, I think these cosmic neutrinos are going to give us uh, really interesting insights about some of the most violent corners of the universe. Because we we have neutrinos coming from the sun all the time, but... Those are not at this at these incredibly energy. high levels of energy, so Indeed. that's how we can discriminate among the different neutrinos. Indeed, and there are also neutrinos produced in the upper atmosphere of the Earth when cosmic rays, these energetic particles, uh, collide with atoms in the Earth's own atmosphere. You also get uh, new atmospheric neutrinos produced. So they're literally everywhere. They're coming from underneath your feet. They're raining down from space. They're being produced in our own atmosphere. There's no escape. But luckily, you know, they don't do much harm. They don't do any harm, and they don't leave uh, much trace. So IceCube is the biggest neutrino detector on the planet right now. But there are 
a handful of others all over the world. Absolutely, and it's it's uh, you know I, one of the reasons that that I wrote the book at this time is because uh, neutrino physics is getting very exciting. There's um, many more experiments than there ever been, and there are uh, you can kind of um, divide the experiments into three different uh, types. One is detecting neutrinos, natural neutrinos coming from space, uh, from the sun, from exploding stars. Um, then there are neutrinos uh, detectors which are uh, are measuring neutrino beams produced in accelerators. So, for example, at Fermilab in Chicago, they produce a neutrino beam which travels through the Earth and is detected in a mine in Minnesota, right? And then there's a third kind of neutrino detection, which is to use uh, neutrinos that are byproduct of nuclear power plants. So you take your detector and stick it near, you know, whether there's a nuclear power plant, because a byproduct of that process is to produce neutrinos. Um, and there are a number of those kinds of neutrino detectors as well. For example, uh, in Daya Bay in the South China Sea, uh, in, in, in China, and also uh, in France, in a village called Shu in France, where there's a nuclear power plant, uh, uh, nu- uh, neutrino physicists have uh, set up their detector. So that, you know, naturally occurring neutrinos, byproducts of nuclear plants, and then specifically created neutrinos to be able to study them, uh, all being all being uh, uh, chased and being hunted down by these physicists to to um, uh, to um, you know solve the the mysteries associated with them. And you you talk about how it's possible that uh, because neutrinos are an inevitable byproduct of nuclear reactions, they could be used to figure out if somebody's running nuclear. Uh, facilities on the sly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's certainly, so neutrinos have gone from this sort of esoteric, you know, strange particles, which they still are, to, uh, you know, people starting to think about some practical uses for them. And, and one of the most seriously investigated ideas is the possibility, because they are a byproduct of um, nuclear reactors um, and, you know, bomb explosions and uh, anything that involves uh, 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 that kind of process, that you might be able to use the fact that these neutrinos can't really be, you know, held back. They're going to escape. It's not like you can stop them by, you know, surrounding uh, the facility with, you know, thick walls. They go or anything right like, through. They go through any of that. So people are investigating seriously, and there are some designs and, and perhaps one prototype for trying to use it as a, you know, way of monitoring nuclear uh, uh, reactor activity, so that international monitors could, uh, you know, have a new tool in their hands. The wildest uh, thing you talk about is uh, stock traders wanting to use it for communication, so they could send the information directly through the Earth and get get, get a millisecond advantage over the people who have to go around the Earth with uh, the photonic. Uh, they're looking for an extremely fast buck, <laughs> right? Extremely <laughs> fast buck. Um, what are you? What's your day-to-day uh, relationship with neutrinos? Well, uh, uh, not not a lot, except yeah. that you know I have to let them go through my body. Right. But, uh, my own research as an astrophysicist has to do with uh, looking for and characterizing uh, planets that orbit other stars, mm-hmm. what we call exoplanets, right. uh, which is also a booming field, and that's what my last book, Strange New Worlds, was about, uh, because that's uh, another very exciting area of science, and it's a lot of fun to be a part of uh, an endeavor that, you know, feels a little bit like the Wild West, where right. you're making discoveries every other day, uh, or at least once a week. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, neutrinos caught my eye as a perfect uh, topic for a book because of... Um, 
the science of neutrinos is really interesting and intriguing and fascinating, but also the colorful cast of characters involved yeah, throughout history and, and also even now the, the magnificent arsenal of, you know, neutrino trapping devices that have uh, been built yeah. uh, to study these elusive particles. It, it, it's quite a, you know, nice combination of very fascinating and, and interviewed, uh, uh, you know, story. Yeah, you got Dirac, you got Pauli as a major player, uh, got Einstein, Fermi, Fermi yeah. Bruno Pontecorvo. Indeed. Really Whoa. interesting guy that a lot of people probably don't know as well as the other ones. Absolutely. So he was the guy that, um, in the thick of the Cold War tensions in 1951, uh, uh, you know, f- uh, fled with his family to Russia. And, and caused quite an international ruckus, made headlines around the world uh, because there was a lot of speculation and fear, frankly, that that you know he might have been a Russian spy or he might have taken nuclear secrets over behind the Iron Curtain. Um, so there were all these you know very interesting characters who's who were fascinated by neutrinos, working on neutrinos, but also had had uh, really you know interesting in some cases dramatic uh, uh, life stories. Uh, Hans Bethe had a funny quip. Uh, he he had published something that turned out to be incorrect. Yeah, and he said, you know, you shouldn't believe everything you read in the papers. <laughs> right, in the papers, <laughs> in his papers. Yeah. So the bottom line for all this research is to try to really nail down a grand unified theory, right? Well, it it is to understand whether, you know, what we call the standard model of physics, which uh, accounts very well for um, most of the world we see around us, um, you know, is that sufficient or, or do we need to go beyond that in search of new physics? And because the original formulation of the standard model assigned a mass of zero to neutrinos, and now they've turned out to have some mass, it's minuscule mass, but they do have, they're not massless, um, is, is, is experimental evidence that maybe the uh, standard model isn't quite enough and we might need to go beyond it. And that's one of the, the sort of, uh, you know, elements that tease astronomers, uh, tease physicists and, and, and uh, you know, fascinate them in terms of why study neutrinos. But it's, you, you know, there are many different reasons for studying neutrinos from the cosmic to the subatomic and, and the, the, the prospect of finding new physics uh, is, is, is among the most exciting for the physicists. Yeah, we always hear that hydrogen is the most abundant uh, element, element in the yeah. universe. But how many neutrinos are there for every hydrogen proton? Ooh, you got me. You, well, I don't know you, that off the top you have of my head. A, you have a number in the book for every atom in the universe. So um, I forget what yeah. it is. It, it's early on. I'll, yeah, I'll, it's, I'll find it okay. in here. And, yeah, I think it was. help the audience out after we're. Uh, that, that gives you a sense of, uh, yeah, how abundant it, they are. I think it was, yeah, I know where it is. It's, uh, it's, I think it's like. Uh, Murayama's quote, I think he said. Yeah, it's, uh, why don't we just say it's gabillions. Okay. Now, and, okay. And I'll nail that down. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a really fun read. And, um, again, you know, if you're like me, if you like science, but also the history of science, yeah. then you really, you really can't have more fun than, uh, than reading this book. Thanks so much for coming in and being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm afraid Gabillions was a bit of an overestimate from page 9 of Neutrino Hunters. Quote, according to Hitashi Moriyama of the University of Tokyo and the University of California, Berkeley, 
There are a billion neutrinos for every atom in the universe, end quote. Not gabillions. I regret the lack of total recall. Also, I want to read you a paragraph from page 125 on neutrinos and supernovas. Alex Friedland of Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico explained that a supernova is in essence a, quote, neutrino bomb, end quote, since the explosion releases a truly staggering number, some 10 to the 58, or 10 billion trillion 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 of these particles. Even as astronomical numbers go, that is an astoundingly big one. In fact, the energy emitted in the form of neutrinos within a few seconds is a few hundred times what the sun emits in the form of photons over its entire lifetime of nearly 10 billion years. What's more, during the supernova explosion, 99% of the precursor star's gravitational binding energy goes into neutrinos of all flavors, while barely half a percent appears as visible light. So there's another example of just how mind-boggling all this stuff is. Well, that's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, where you can check out the collection of Scientific American eBooks. The latest volumes in the series are titled Tomorrow's Medicine, that's one, and Allergies, Asthma, and the Common Cold, that's the other one. $4.99 each. They're at books.scientificamerican.com slash sa hyphen eBooks, or just go to our homepage, and look for books on the right side on the top. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.